0: In Philippians 3.3, Paul refers to all born-again believers, both Jews and Gentiles, as the circumcision. What does circumcision have to do with our status as new covenant children of God? Find out on this episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity.
1: It's time to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with your host, Mike Shreve. In
0: Philippians 3.3, Paul refers to all born-again believers in the new covenant as the circumcision. Most people feel that's just old covenant terminology. How did it get translated over into the New Testament? To understand that, we really need to go back and read that verse and the whole passage that it's within. Let's go to Philippians right now. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So, there's two descriptions of the quote-unquote circumcision. We rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we worship God in the Spirit. Hmm. So, in order to be a part of this group referred to as the circumcision, you have to have a regenerated spirit, because the only way to worship God in the spirit, as Jesus exhorted the woman at the well, is necessary, is to have a regenerated spirit infused with the presence and the spirit of God. And then we are in communion with God and can worship him satisfactorily the way he wants to be worshipped, where the river of life that flows into us flows back to him in the form of worship. So that's part of the qualification for this status. We have a regenerated spirit, and that brings us into the presence of God, but also we rejoice in Christ Jesus. Well, what's the option? It's rejoicing in a self-attained righteousness through the deeds of the law or through obeying the commandments of the law. In order to understand that contrast we need to read the whole passage. So let me do that right now. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. And that was a derogatory term that he gave to those who said circumcision was still a necessary right in the New Testament. And he called them the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, Paul said, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, the King James Version says, done, that I may win Christ, that I may gain Christ, and here's the key element, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. It comes as a gift. Romans five seventeen calls it the gift of righteousness. And in his opening sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's altogether different than attaining righteousness through religious works. You're filled with the very righteousness of God. God fills the hungry and the thirsty with his own essence, his own being, his presence, and the attributes of his character are within the presence of the Holy Spirit, including his righteousness, which gives us a righteous status in the sight of God. But we are referred to as the circumcision And that speaks even more because now a born-again Christian is supposed to have the nature to live righteously as an act of worship toward God. It's not a struggling and a striving to attain righteousness by our own efforts, but it's a response of gratitude. And that purifies the motive when you live righteous because you're struggling and striving and I've got to do this and I've got to do that, it's not as worshipful as when you say, Lord, in great gratitude for the great gift of salvation you've given me, I want to live in your perfect will. I want to live aligned with your commandments. Then it purifies the motive and makes it an act of worship toward God, as I said. Now, to understand though why we are referred to as the circumcision, we need to go all the way back to the origin of the idea. And that's Genesis chapter 17, where God communicates this concept to Abram. And his name was changed in that chapter to Abraham, because God calls those things that are not as though they were and the name abraham means father of a multitude well he's not a father of a multitude yet but god is proclaiming that over him as a prophetic statement all right let's go to genesis 17 verses 1 through oh around 1 through 14 and i'm going to pull out some highlights When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God. In the Hebrew, it's El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant. The Hebrew word is berit, which means a pact made by passing through pieces of flesh. He said, I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly Abram then fell on his face and worshiped God. And then God continued talking with him and said, as for me, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you. He did not say, I will make you. He said, I have made you a father of many nations. It was an eternal plan a destiny, a purpose that had to unfold in God's timing. In verse 6, God said, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Verse 7, he said, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. Verse 8, he says, also I give you and your descendants the land in which you are a stranger. So God foreordained a chosen people and God foreordained a place for those chosen people to dwell. And God still prepares a place for you. He's ordained you, but he's also ordained a place of purpose for you to fill, a spiritual kind of promised land, if you will. Then in verse 9, God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and you're going to keep that covenant. And then God said, what I believe was a very surprising thing to Abraham at the time. In verse 10, God said, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. I can almost see a look of stunned amazement on Abraham's face and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. I think it's interesting to see that the sign of the covenant, the emblem of the covenant, the token of the covenant was invisible to other people because it was in a private area, and it was private only known between that Israeli man, that Jewish man, and God. And in like manner, Spiritual circumcision is an invisible thing. It's only known between you and God whether or not you are truly circumcised, whether or not the the world's influence and the influence of carnality have been cut away from your soul in order for you to walk in holiness before God. Then in verse 12, God commanded that they circumcise every Jewish male child on the eighth day. And I think the eighth day is a very significant number. Well, first of all, on that day, though God didn't explain it to them, vitamin K is at a peak in that little newborn baby. And so it helps uh, prevent any kind of infection from taking place. Sometimes God ordains things and commands things, but doesn't give all the reasoning behind it. Also, the number eight is the number of new beginnings. See, the eighth day is the beginning of a new week. The eighth note is the beginning of a new scale. And so, eight is the number of new beginnings. And I believe circumcision represents a new beginning spiritually and supernaturally. And of course, it would be a new beginning for a Jewish person, to come into covenant, berit, to come into covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then God warned. He said, the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people, and he has broken my covenant. I believe if we truly come into covenant with God in this era, in the New Testament era, It's very important to have a circumcised heart and a circumcised life, or in a sense, in a very real sense, we too have broken the covenant. Because grace is not greasy. I do not believe that God saves people for them to continue on in a sinful and rebellious lifestyle. He expects you to circumcise your heart. In fact, let's go to a scripture that indicates this is part of this new covenant arrangement we have with him and that's colossians chapter 2 verse 11 it says in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of christ i see a couple of things in that verse that's really important first of all, it's a circumcision made without hands. Of course, in the Old Testament, it was the surgical removal of the foreskin on the male child. But in the New Testament, it's kind of a spiritual surgery that takes place where God cuts away former evil influences in your life, not just the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh and rank rebellion against God, but even things like overwhelming depression or overwhelming discouragement that just bowed a person down with anxiety and care god cuts away the control of the lower nature and it's called the circumcision of christ even as the high priest in the old testament ministered circumcision in a natural sense the great high priest is the one who ministers circumcision in a spiritual sense. When did he do that? The moment you came in Christ, and the moment he came into you, and that's a simultaneous happening. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes in you, you are positioned in the body of Christ, and you are under his headship, and from that moment forward, you are in Christ, And whatever he is passes down to you. And the new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. And now your spirit man has dominance over the flesh and over the soul. That regenerated spirit should be in a position of control where those other lower parts of your nature, the soul, which is still subject to human emotions that sometimes are negative and human intellect, which sometimes is wrong in its assumptions, the spirit man inside of you should be in dominance, in control because you are in Christ. And so this circumcision, this circumcision is not a one-time event. It's a continuing state spiritually that God enforces. Now, how does it manifest? I believe we can see that symbolized in the Old Testament too. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 30, Moses tried to make an excuse why he was insufficient for the job, for the task that God had given him of prophesying to Pharaoh and delivering the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. And Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? So what did he mean by that? Maybe he had rough speech, or some feel he had a speech impediment, because he said he was of a slow tongue. Regardless of what it was, he did not feel his speech was refined enough to be effective to speak in a prophetic way. Well, translate that into the new covenant. One of the signs that you truly are one of the circumcised in a manifested way, one of the circumcision, the body of Christ that functions as the body of Christ should, is the fact that you have a circumcised tongue and circumcised lips. Where you speak the truth in love, and you speak words of love instead of words of hate, words of joy instead of words of depression, words of hope instead of words of despair, and so on down the list. And of course, we all struggle and go back and forth, and sometimes we falter and speak words of fear and unbelief instead of words of faith and confidence. And yet, this circumcision is an ongoing process. God is bringing us more and more into sonship. And that's what it's all about. So I claim circumcised lips so that I can speak as an oracle of God. Even as Peter said, we should. He said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And the word oracle means an utterance of God. Another indication that you're functioning as the circumcision is found in acts chapter 7 verse 51 this was actually the closing statement or part of the closing statement of stephen's sermon that caused the religious authorities to be so enraged with him they stoned him to death and he became the first martyr of the church he was very blunt and i believe it was the holy spirit speaking through him as he preached But he told these religious authorities, You stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you also. So now we see it from a different direction that if someone has an uncircumcised heart, if someone has an uncircumcised, if they have uncircumcised ears, then they're not sensitive to the voice of the Lord. They're not sensitive to the written word when it's spoken nor the living word when it's spoken. They're oblivious. They're guarded against it by their decision to cling to religion instead of going after relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But someone who is truly circumcised in their ears has an awakened ear. According to Isaiah 50 verse 4, he said, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should speak a word in season to him who is weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens me to hear as the learned. And the word translated learned there is also translated disciple in Isaiah chapter 8. So someone who has an awakened ear also has a circumcised ear. They have circumcised hearing. They're not just controlled by the voice of their own mind or the people around them or demonic strategies against them. They're listening to a higher voice, the voice of the written word and the voice of the living word. And they're not resistant. They're not stubborn. They're passionately desirous of yielding and submitting to the word of God. That's the sign of a circumcised person, spiritually circumcised. And then he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. And that means something even deeper, that the root motive in a person has got to be passion for God and passion for the true God in order to have a circumcised heart. And again, what does it mean to have a circumcised heart? It means you're completely surrendered. You're completely yielded. You don't want anything between you and God. Your heart longs to be filled with his presence. Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, God told the children of Israel, therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff necked no longer. God commanded them to do it to circumcise their own heart? Well, human beings don't have that capacity. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah said. You can restrain the lower nature, but you can't really successfully surgically separate your spirit from the attack of the lower nature until spiritual rebirth takes place. Now, you can live a life of imposing your will on your flesh and living according to God's commandments without the regenerative experience of being born again. Paul talked about how he was blameless concerning the law. He had executed laws and rules in his life that he intended to live by, and he was successful in doing so, but he still did not have that born-again intimacy with God that true spiritual circumcision brings. But anyway, in Deuteronomy 10, 16, God told them to do it, but then realizing how challenging and difficult that would be for people to attempt to do it on their own. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, 20 chapters later, it's a prophecy of the new covenant. God said, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. I see another beautiful aspect of this truth in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, that the outcome of God himself circumcising your heart is the awakening of love, love for God, love for other people, love for his word, and not just a minimal amount, He circumcises your heart and the heart of your descendants. That's a promise you should be claiming for your children. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Because when you live a circumcised life, you come into contact with the life of God. And the life of God has all kinds of wonderful things attached to it. The wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, the joy of God, the peace of God. These are life-giving elements in the character of God that are released into you when you walk through this world with a circumcised heart. Now, let me take you to Romans chapter 2 and verses 28 and 29. I'm closing with this. Paul was not the most popular person among people that clung to the Old Testament way of doing things and had a hard time stepping into the new. And I'm sure this two-verse passage was a stumbling block to some people. But Paul said, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but of God. Think of that, that God praises the person who yields to this process and who walks in the reality of it. The praise doesn't come from men. The praise comes from God. In other words, in the Old Testament, men implemented circumcision in obedience to God's commandment and they used it to try and prove a righteous status in the sight of God just by the fact of having circumcision. But now it's not something celebrated by religious people as a religious accomplishment, but it's a spiritual act and a supernatural impartation, and the praise comes from God. Thank God for that. Now let me bring in one last thing, and then I'm going to close. If you have a circumcised heart, you flow in the authority of God and the dominion and power of the Holy Spirit. That's released in you as a result, all the more effectively because you have a holy walk, a sanctified walk. People who compromise with the world have all kinds of limitations on them that prevent them from really flowing in the gifts and the calling and the purpose that is in their lives. But let me give you an Old Testament example. When David, the shepherd boy, the lover of God who wrote Psalms to God when he kept the sheep out in the field, happened to come up on the battle zone where Goliath was taunting the men of Israel saying, give me a man that we might fight together. And David was astounded that none of them were willing to fight Goliath. And he said this in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Listen, when the enemy... Is intimidating the church of the living God. That's reproachful. And in like manner, it was reproachful for Israel to be cowering in fear before Goliath. And then David said the most powerful thing. He said, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, translate that into a new covenant sense. And I would say concerning the devil, concerning Satan, Who is this uncircumcised prince of darkness that he should defy the church of the living God? Who does he think he is trying to stop the purpose of God in us? He's going to be inevitably an utter failure, and we are going to be overcomers. Why? Because God is on our side, and if God be for us, who can be against us? Though all the odds were on Goliath, he collapsed before David and David emerged victorious. And though a lot of things are happening that will bring forth persecution against the church in the last days, I believe ultimately we will emerge victorious. Who is this uncircumcised devil to oppose the people of God in these last days and try and prevent the plan of God from unfolding? He's going to fail, and we're going to win in Jesus' name.